0: Thanks, Tim. Well, good morning, people of God. Good to be back with you and good to be diving back into our series that we're calling Back to Basics. And the idea behind this series is that we're trying to flesh out the six identities of a faithful follower of Christ. And we've kind of grouped those six identities into three pairs. And the first pair, which we've already preached on, had to do with commitment. It had to do with commitment, first of all, to Jesus Christ and following Him, and obeying Him, and walking with Him, and also commitment to His bride, the church, because we can't have the husband without the bride. Jesus comes to us and presents us to Himself as a couple, so to speak. He says, if you take me, you're going to take my people. And so we commit ourselves to both Christ personally and to His church corporately. The second pair has to do with connection. And Sam Our youth director last week spoke to us on the importance of families connecting spiritually through regular worship together. This week, I'm taking the second part of connection, which is all about the church connecting as a family. Okay, so we talked about families connecting spiritually, physical, biological families connecting spiritually. This week, we're going to talk about spiritual family connecting as family which is the church and how the church is to behave as family, as a community. And then we've got two more coming, which we'll focus on in the coming weeks. So here's the goal of of my sermon this morning. I want to give you a biblical basis and also describe the benefits of the importance of joining yourself to a smaller group of believers that you have regular, close fellowship with. We call them at our church gospel community groups. They're called small groups. They've been called cell groups, care groups, Sunday school classes. I mean, it's been called anything, but the importance of smaller groups that know each other well, that relate to each other the way the Bible calls them to relate for the purpose of what the Bible calls them to to, uh, relate to each other for. So we'll be talking about what those purposes are. So my goal is to encourage you toward that end and Really, to either stay meaningfully and actively engaged with the group you're already a part of, which many of you are, many of you are are tied in. I was amazed as I looked through our membership directory again this week of how many of you are, are attached to a group, but what I want to call you to is not just convenience, but commitment and conviction about it. I want it to go deep down into into the warp and woof of your spiritual life, that it becomes not just an issue of, well, that's what the pastors invite us to do, that's what this sermon's about, we don't want to disobey our pastors, God calls us to submit to our leaders. See, that's just you owning a pastoral conviction. That's not you having a conviction about something. And we want you to, on the basis of Scripture, have convictions about The practices of the church, not just merely a sweet submission to pastoral leadership, which of course is encouraged in the Bible and commanded in the Bible, but that's not all that the Bible would encourage you to have. So to stay meaningfully engaged in your community group, or if you're not, to involve yourself in one by joining one. So that's my goal, to encourage you to stay meaningfully engaged or to involve yourself if you're not already. So my outline this morning is I realized as I was prepping this sermon this week, I'm like, man, this is so hard because I've got three sermons here. (laughs) I've I've literally, every point is a sermon. Uh, So what I'm going to try to do is give you the greatest hits of those three sermons. So literally, we're going to be flying this morning. I'm going to hit a lot of things and hopefully it'll be helpful, but hang with me. Because we're we're not going to be spending long on on a lot of these thoughts, which could be developed more. But I thought it more important this morning, for the sake of our time together, that we get the the whole landscape of things rather than maybe just drilling down in one area. So here's my three sermons in one. Here's the first point or sermon, is the basis of community groups, and I'm going to talk about so, so, some biblical foundation for this idea, and try to try to give us some perspective on this from the Bible on why we why we do this practice as a church. And then secondly, I want to talk about benefits. I want to talk about the good things that come into our life as a result of meaningful engagement with other believers. And then third, I want to talk about some, some building blocks, some practical how-tos. Um, so those would be the three sermons. It's going to be one sermon, three points. So here we go. Let's get into the first one, basis for groups. Now, I've got five things here that I want us to think, think through from the Bible about why we as a church believe so strongly in a group's practice. Okay, and the first one has to do with who we believe God is. See, the idea of groups doesn't start with what is the church abroad doing? What's cool? What's hip? What's trendy? How about let's start here. Who is God? God, brothers and sisters, exists in eternal fellowship and community with Himself. We see that right from the beginning of the Bible. So we choose to base our group's ministry on a theological identity of God and being made in His image. From the beginning, God has existed as a community of being. In human history, God has revealed this community of being as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, an eternal small group, so to speak. A trinity "...of being and relationship. There is one God, according to Scripture, who exists eternally as three separate distinct persons. God is relational as part of His nature. Therefore, groups within a church are largely based on the concept of being made in the image of a relational God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 make clear that we're created in the image of God, and that image is relational." That's why God says in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 when he's assessing the state of man he said it's not good for man to what? Be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. Why? Cuz God made him in his image and God is not alone. So what's striking about this statement is that God makes it before the fall. Before the fall has even entered, before sin has even entered the world through Adam and Eve, God looked at the situation of a man being by himself in the garden as being not good. So how much more do we need vital, life-giving relationships post-fall if pre-fall it wasn't even good that man existed in them? One writer says, community is deeply grounded in the nature of God. It flows from who God is because he is community, he creates community. It's his gift of himself to humans. Therefore, the making of community may not be regarded as an optional decision for Christians. It's a compelling and irrevocable necessity, a binding divine mandate for all believers at all times because we are made in the image of a relational God. So that's the first basis. Second basis, the ministry of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, what did Jesus do when he came to earth? He formed a small group. Have you thought about that? Think about that. And if we are called as his disciples to walk in the way that he himself walked, 1 John 2, 3, then we can't get outside of his method. His method isn't optional. He chose to come to earth and call people to himself and form them into a small community where they could live and walk and learn and love together. That's what Jesus did, so that's what we need to do because we're Christians, followers of Jesus. I mean, if that's not enough to close the case, I don't know what is. So, nature of God, ministry of Jesus. Third example of the early church. We're familiar with the passage, I don't think I need to turn us to it. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. What do we see post or during Pentecost? The Spirit comes, forms the church, they start meeting together, and they have these rhythms to their meeting. They meet in the temple courts, and they meet from house to house. They have these different kinds of gatherings. And so it's appropriate that we have big church like this where we all gather together and sit under preaching and God's Word and worship together and fellowship together and hear about what God's doing and pray together and all that. And then it's also that also important that we have other types of gatherings that can accomplish other biblical purposes that this big group can't do. So the example of the early church shows us that they didn't think that going to the temple courts together or gathering in a large synagogue situation where they were being preached to and all that stuff was all that Jesus intended for the church to be and do. Rather, he intended that there be fellowship breaking bread, prayers, devotion to the apostles' teaching in all different kinds of contexts, both in the home and in the temple court. So that's the example of the early church. So you see nature of God, ministry of Jesus, example of the early church. Let's talk about the composition of the church. So this is the fourth one, fourth idea, under this idea of basis. How has God made the church to function? The church is not just an organization. It's not just a group of people that have leaders and a mission and all this stuff. It's not just an organization. It's a living organism. It's a family. The Bible has all kinds of metaphors for the church, the body, the temple, which is more of an organizational metaphor, but the, you know the body is more of an organism kind of metaphor, household imagery of the church. So lest I undermine what we're doing here, which I believe is incredibly valuable and important. I wouldn't invest, I don't think Jonathan or anybody else who preaches would invest time in sermons if we didn't believe what was happening here was incredibly important and valuable. But I, so I don't want to, I don't want anything I'm about to say to undermine the importance of what we're doing here because 2nd Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 through the beginning of chapter 4, underscore the importance of the public proclamation and teaching and preaching of God's Word. It says, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the Word. So there's this preaching event that is to take place, and he's to preach it in the context, as Second Timothy is written to, in the context of the church. But the Bible makes it crystal clear that preaching is not enough. Rather, the church is a covenant community in which all members are ministers. Did you know that all of you are ministers? Everybody, every single person in the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. But He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit ministers to the body through each member of the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. To each is given... Each believer, each member is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, the common good of the church at large. The ministry of every member, then, is indispensable to the growth, health, and vitality of the church and what God calls the church to be. First Corinthians, again, chapter 12, verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. First Corinthians twelve fifteen. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body... 1 Corinthians 12, 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet saying, I have no need of you. So the whole point is the body needs the body to grow. The body needs the membership to grow, not just the leadership. Leadership is critical. Leadership is important. Leadership is foundational, but leadership is not the main thing. The, The leadership is meant to empower the membership to build the body up. So in order for all the saints, I mean, we have a limited number of saints doing the work of ministry here on a Sunday morning. It's limited. I mean, we're not having 17 sermons, you know. Thankfully, never get out of here then the the regular ones that already preach keep us too long. So, we, I mean, we're not having an innumerable group of musicians, you know, we're, we're not having multiple God at work segments where people are sharing or, uh, this ex- great extended prayer time. I mean, all that's critical and all that's important and all that's beneficial. It's huge. It's important, but it's limited in its scope. And so the question we have to ask is, if God calls us to lots of other things as a church, where are those things going to happen? Where are those things going to take place if they can't take place in the larger meeting of the church? And the reality is is that God calls all the other 50 plus one another passages to take place like loving and forgiving and serving and bearing burdens and encouraging and exhorting and praying and equipping and speaking truth in love and confessing and treating each other as precious members of the body of Christ and all that, all that's going to happen not in an abstract or superficial way, but in deep, face-to-face, life-on-life, messy relationships. Now, in our modern culture, especially the modern Western culture, groups like this are typically seen as a program or a fellowship ministry within the church. But the way the New Testament views the life of the church is that it's a way of life it encompasses every area of life, which means there's not segmented parts of our lives that are like non-church parts. Well, this is my part, and this is me and my wife's part, this is our family part, and there's the church part. No, we don't get the convenience of doing that biblically. We have to work out the messy gray area of what that looks like in the warp and woof of life and saying, how can we invite, how can we be and do church and be the church in all these different spheres of life? How how do we work that out? And so the relationships with one another in the New Testament church were critical to their pursuit of Jesus, their growth in Christ, their witness to the good news. It was impossible for them to experience biblical community apart from spiritually significant intentional relationships with other believers. So relational structures like groups are an integral part of being the church. So that's the composition of the church idea. So we've seen nature of God, we've seen ministry of Jesus, example of the early church, the nature of the church or composition of the church. One last thing. The specific commands that are given to the church in Hebrews, which Tim read for us one of them. And I just want to spend a couple minutes on these commands. Would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3, first of all, or pull it up on your phone. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Here we see that the ministry of the word is commanded from all the members of the church to the other members of the church. In other words, the only I think for some of us maybe the only place we think that the ministry of the word happens is in a classroom setting or like a preaching moment like a sermon. This is where this is one form of the ministry of the word, but there are other forms of ministry of the word. There's a ministry of the word that is given to you as the body of Christ. You have a ministry of the word responsibility in the life of the church. Even if you would rather die than preach, which is fine. You don't have to do that. But you cannot avoid the responsibility that God has placed upon you to be a minister of his word to each other. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Take care, pastors, Thank you. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That's scary. That's scary. He's addressing brothers. And he's saying these brothers, these professed Christians, these members of the church could have within them evil, unbelieving hearts that would lead them to fall away from God, to turn their back on Christianity, to walk away from Jesus? How are we going to avoid that? Better gather on Sunday so the pastor can preach to us. Is that what he says? But exhort one another every day As long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See that? Exhort one another every day. Where's that going to happen? Who has that ministry in your life that you have granted permission to help you keep walking with Jesus for the rest of your life? See, if we dismiss God's means, if we say, no, I'm not going to fall away from Jesus. I don't really need the everyday exhortation of my brothers and sisters. You are flatly taking your eternal life in your own hands. You don't know your heart. And I don't know mine. that's, That's actually a manifestation of a deceived heart. It's a manifestation that the hardening is already setting in. And the trajectory to apostasy is well underway. See, we have to Take the Bible and we say, okay, God, you know my heart, you know my condition, you know me better than I know me, and you know the medicine that I need. And God says here that what you need is other brothers and sisters who are close to you, who have the permission to speak to you and exhort you so that you don't get hardened by sin and fall away from God. See, eternal security then staying the course in the Christian life and following Jesus to the end is, as John Piper says, it's a community project. It's a whole church project. Have you ever thought about this, that you and I are responsible before God for the perseverance of our brothers and sisters in the faith? You're not just responsible to persevere yourself. You're responsible to make sure that all of us get there. And the way that, so we can't all do that. We can't form a 100 meaning, 150, 200 meaningful exhortation relationships. It's impossible. So the way you have to do it then is think, okay, so smaller groupings in which people know each other well and are in each other's lives regularly and see what's going on. That's the way to do it. It limits the scope, it narrows it down, it makes it reasonable, it makes it doable. And if the whole church has that little group around them showing watch care for them, watching out for their souls, taking care of them, making sure that no one's behaving in a way that's, that's, that's looking like they're walking away from Jesus but keeping each other encouraged, reminding each other of the gospel, helping each other live in the truths of the Bible and bring them to our minds and all that stuff that goes into healthy group life, If all that's happening, and it's happening all across the church, by God's grace, we're all going to make it to the end. And we'll all see each other on that great day. And no one will have fallen out of the race. Again, the passage that Tim read for us, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, underscores this again. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I I, I was just, as I was studying this again this week, I was thinking, wow, how many times have I used this verse and thought to myself, well, if I just attend big church, if I just come at 10.30 on Sunday morning, then I'm not in this category of these people that say they neglect to meet together. That's their habit. It's not my habit. What habit is he talking about here? he's talking about a certain kind of meeting and a certain kind of habit of neglecting that meeting. The meeting he's talking about is a meeting where stirring up one another is happening, where love and good works are doing are being done, and where encouragement of one another is happening. It's talking about a smaller church meeting, if it's a small church in this situation, or a smaller grouping within a larger church meeting. Because the stirring up one another toward love and good works and the encouraging one another is not really happening here. So his, his point is, is let us consider, let us be mindful, let us be deliberate and intentional about not cultivating a habit of avoiding meetings where they get a little uncomfortable, that get a little personal. Let's not avoid those meetings because those are the meetings we avoid. Right? But we're not, we don't avoid the meetings where we don't get asked anything and can slip in and slip out. What we avoid is what if they know about this? Or what if I'm gonna be have to speak into somebody's mess or help love somebody through a difficult situation? Or so let me ask you a question. Is that your habit? Are you in this? The habit of some here? The more I meet with our community group leaders and ask them, "How are your groups going? How are your groups going?" The more I'm seeing that we 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 are we are conveniently given reasons why we don't meet. We just you know it's like it's almost of the mindset like we'll do it as long as nothing else is happening. What is more important than your eternal life? A game? A nap? What's more important than gathering with a, bro- a group of brothers and sisters that love you, that care for you, that want to encourage you? I mean, that—that's in my mind. That's like a one priority. Like I gotta eat. I need some. I need to go to bed at night. I need to put clothes on. I mean, it's like these are the you know, like the critical things, right? And, and the, number four, I need to have other brothers and sisters that know me like that's really critical. It's really important. So we have to build our lives around it, which means it factors into our plans when we sit down at the beginning of the week with our wives or husbands or ourselves, as we should. We should be thoughtful. That's what redeeming the time means. Don't just walk into the week and, well, we'll see what happens. Ephesians 5 tells you, redeem the time. Think about it. The days are evil it's not, not going to be easy to live a Christian life. We're swimming upstream. We've got to do things that are not natural to even our redeemed nature. We're still, we still have sin in us. We've got to make decisions. And so we say, okay, so honey, is our community group meeting this week? Okay, then we can't do something on that night. But how much is it like, is our group meeting? Are we even having them? And some of that's on us as leaders, and we have to improve because we're not leading well. But you have to factor in the group meeting when you're making other plans. Or is it something that you go to as long as you don't have other plans? So what I'm looking for, again, is a conviction thing here. Not conviction as in I'm convicted of sin about this. The Spirit, if He's doing that with you, that's fine. But my point is is that you, you, you sense... This is something that we are convicted about, convinced of, the importance of. So that's, that's the biblical basis, okay? Again, that could be a whole sermon, and it probably almost was. And uh, so I'm going to really have to speed it up here. Till, did you get in trouble? It's like, and I really sat down this week, and I really edited. Thank you for praying for me. I know you guys, I really worked hard. I left a lot of stuff on the floor or to the ash heap of the iMac. I mean, I, let, I left a lot of it, and I still, it's ridiculous. Okay, so those are the five bases. Let's go to benefits, okay? And because I'm weird, and I have to have an acronym, I've got the five benefits in the word group. Ready, boys and girls? <laughs> All right, number one, gr- G, growing spiritually. Here's a benefit, growing spiritually. As people have said often, Life change happens best in, in circles, not rows. It doesn't mean that rows don't have a, an, a, an aspect of We're all in rows. It's good. But life change happens in circles. You want to have a proof for you? Okay, let me, let's prove it with an illustration. Okay, when everybody in your brain right now think about this. I want you to think about 10 sermons that have absolutely changed your life and the text and the thing that changed in your life as a result of it. Right now, think of 10. okay, I'm struggling too. I can think of maybe three. Okay, now think of 10 people. 10 people that have changed your life, that have had an impact on you and what their impact had. A lot easier, isn't it? A lot easier to draw up the names of faces and people than it is sermons and texts and such, as important as those things are. We grow spiritually through Relationship. We grow spiritually through relationship. Jesus knew that. That's why he said, come, follow me. Get near me. Let's walk together. Let's do this together. Not, oh, Jesus wakes up, you know, on the hillside, and he walks out, and he rubs the crust out of his eyes, and he's like, it's 7 a.m., where are the guys? They haven't shown up for class yet. And then the disciples come, and they sit down, and he preaches this great message to them, and he says, All right, now go live it out. Go do it. I'll see you next week. And he walks away. Is that why Jesus did it? No, he said, Come, follow me. Let's do it. I've got to go to this person's house. We're going to eat together. It's going to get weird, I promise. All right, come on in. It's going to feel awkward. There's going to be this woman. She's going to come in and she's going to start crying. And there's her tears are going to get all over my feet. And boy, the religious people are really going to have fits about that. And they're going to say that we we hang out at prostitutes' houses. And they're going to say things about us. And um, just be prepared for that. It's going to get a little crazy. But that's what happens when the Son of Man shows up. (laughs) So, you know, this kind of thing happening, it's like, I mean, this, and the disciples would have seen that. And they would have been like, ooh, okay. You know, some of them would have been, you know, they had all different kinds of persons. It's just the whole point is that they grew spirit. They saw, they experienced that they were there and they could not be changed by what they were seeing. So that's the first one, growing spiritually. Again, I'm going to fly here. Number two, R, G, R, receiving care, receiving care. Do you know it's one of the biggest blessings in the body of Christ that God, it's one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us as a church is that no one has, should have to go through life without having someone to help bear their burdens that's an amazing gift that the church is supposed to be to each other i just think of i think of what the plumbers have been through and others have been through you know other other things as well but this this week with davis and it was so encouraging to hear from their community group leader mark mcginnis who shared about how their group rallied around the plumbers this week and like we're texting back and forth and praying for them like that's awesome and that was the first thing that happened, not the last thing that happened. And I was so, I was so thankful for that. I just, I just praise the Lord for it. And I know it's happening in other groups as well, and it's tremendous. It's bearing one another's burdens. So in order to obey, obey the law of Christ, we have to build close, trusting relationships. Otherwise, we don't even know what the burdens are that we need to bear, let alone have the opportunity to share their weight. And, it, and it's God's will that those burdens be evenly distributed across the congregation so that no one is responsible for all the weight of the whole church on their shoulders. But the church distributes the weight across itself. And therefore, we're bearing burdens. And if that could happen in small, regular gatherings of believers where those people are known and cared for, that's great. What about James five sixteen? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That's... I mean, in what sort of setting can we be free to obey that verse? The answer is surely a a network of relationships that's won our trust, that know us and love us and have committed themselves to care for us, and therefore we share with them gasp, scandal, that we're still sinners. And we just verified what the Bible has been saying about us. So it's a place that we can take the mask off and be authentic and real with one another. And the bigger the group, the more impersonal those prayers will be and the less likely anybody's going to confess anything. And you know what? Since our greatest needs are often the most personal, I mean, think about this. It's like, what if? okay, so what if we prayed, if we receive a prayer request across the email, which we should, it's good, Church email comes through. We get a prayer request about a burden and we pray for them alone. That's good, right? We should pray for each other in that way. Awesome. Great. But how about Matthew 18 where something even more precious and powerful would be missing from that prayer? If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven for where two or three are gathered in my name. Not just... They're both praying about the same thing in separate places, although that's good and that's important. I want to have many prayers from many places about many things, but where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So we need, do we need further incentive to gather in a group for the upbuilding of our faith, the stirring up of love, than this? That as we share those burdens, as we pray together, gathered in his name, that he's there, I mean that's that's huge. That's huge for me because it matters to me that that other people who can pray for me in the present in each other's presence is happening. Not just and bless God for it, not just through technology, which is huge and important again I say, but it's the gathering together that Jesus is talking about in his name to pray. So that's receiving care for each other. Oh offering your life in Christ to other people. Offering your life which God has changed and is changing to other people so that they get an upfront view of what God is doing in other people's lives. We don't get that here. We don't get that here. We get some of it and it's a a blessing. So what this causes us to do is enter in to a group and, and say, I'm here not just to sit and soak, because that's going to dry you up, but I'm here to pour myself out and to give myself to others so that I'll be filled. Because this proverb says, he who waters will himself be watered. So I'm here to love, and the who, he who is kind benefits himself. I've quoted that before. So, I mean, we live in a culture of consumerism, of individualism, of fragmentation and disconnection. And it's only getting worse. And it's only becoming more problematic and challenging. Not overcomable. The Holy Spirit is alive and well. But what's amazing is that through social media and other technology that have made our world seemingly more connected, that's not really what's, what's happening is that people have fewer genuine friends than they've ever had before. they got a lot of people on the Facebook feed they got a lot of people in the Twitter thing, but they don't have a lot of people in their lives knowing them on a deep level. So, and, it, and as a result of that, it can feel scary and threatening to allow ourselves to be known or to invest in knowing someone else at a deep level. It's much easier and much more convenient just to stay on the surface. Yet when we take the risk of being authentic with a smaller group of brothers and sisters, We can experience, and some of you have experienced this, and you need to be the ones that share it and tell, listen, here's a time in my life where I was petrified of sharing something, but I shared it and I experienced God's love and grace and power like I never have before. And that is a testimony of many, many of you. I know it's my testimony. I was petrified. What will people think of me? And we share, and lo and behold, you too, me too, me too. And God's love and God's grace through the prayers of God's people and the encouragement and the exhortation of God's people and the love of God's people leads to freedom and transformation. Another writer says, quote, God uses people to form people. That's why what happens between you and another person is never merely a human-to-human interaction. It's a human-to-human interaction with the Spirit, and the Spirit longs to be powerfully at work in every human encounter. So we offer our life in Christ to others. Fourthly, we utilize our spiritual gifts. There's the U. G, grow spiritually. R, receive care. O, offer your life to others. U, utilize your spiritual gifts. See, utilizing your spiritual gifts isn't limited to serving in the nursery. That is, it's great, it's wonderful, we need it. Don't want to undermine that. Utilizing your spiritual gift is not being able to play the keyboard or play the guitar, or play the drums or preach a sermon or whatever. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with these other kinds of less valuable, so to speak, less, less uh, big and glorious and obvious and, you know, kinds of things. It's like mercy and compassion and love and the discernment being able to i mean that is a precious precious gift of the spirit discernment wisdom don't we need it our lives are lived in the gray areas we have no idea what to do sometimes If we're seeking to be faithful to these various tensions in our lives and we're trying to make these decisions and it's like racking our brains, what do we do with this? And then you describe the situation, and a brother or sister with the gift of discernment just says, Hey, I think boom, 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 boom. And you're like, Whoa! They saw right to the bottom of that. That was so helpful. I mean, that is a critical ministry of God's Spirit that He wants to give and utilize in our church and that's present in this body. It's in this body. And I think it's it's in you, perhaps. I mean, you don't know. We don't know until we start to do these sorts of things, and the body can speak to it. And the body says, brother, I think you might have a, a gift of leadership. I think you might have a gift of mercy. That looks like helps to me. Like the Like, you are so extremely thoughtful and helpful to people. And then, What if we are able to position those gifts in such a way within the, that, and and here's here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that God's sovereign. Are you convinced of that? And I'm convinced that the groups that are forming and that have formed are not there by accident. And God has stuff to show you in terms of spiritual gifts in your group. You would be amazed. And so we pray for that, we read Scripture, we talk about those gifts, We, all that stuff. But God uses spiritual gifts to all believers, and these gifts are for the benefit of the church. And every Christian should minister to other Christians with their gifts. And this happens most naturally, most effectively, most purposefully within a network of relationships that exist. And at one level... I I get the, here's the the level. The level right now that we're experiencing in the life of our church, I don't know if I have the gift of discernment. I highly doubt it, ask my wife. Um, But what I I do think I see is that we're wrestling with the tension right now in our church in terms of big church, small church, because we're big enough to be small. And so there's a lot of stuff that overlaps, and and that's great, and that's, that's something we can praise God for. But what? not everything, even presently, that's supposed to be happening in the church is happening in the church. So we've got to do something in the light of you know, where we are with this tension and, 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 and what we do with it. I mean, we're not responsible for the God adding numbers to us and all that stuff, and that's not the, the issue is faithfully stewarding and looking at the Bible and saying, okay, if God sends more people, if he brings more guests, if he saves more people, are we positioned well to care for them well? Because eventually, if a church doesn't structure small and work small and live within the network of relationships and multiply those relationships, what eventually happens is you get too big and and and, and what can happen is, you know, slipping through the cracks and no connection because it's not part of the warp and woof of the group. And then you you. Or, or I should say not part of the warp and woof of the church, and so you feel like, man, we're just, we're not, we weren't prepared for that, and we, we didn't steward that well, and that's, that's, that's on us, and that's that's wrong. So so utilizing spiritual gifts, I'm getting way off track. Okay, number five, putting the gospel on display. Putting the gospel on display. John thirteen thirty four and 35, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the litmus test for Jesus is clear on whether we are his disciples. It is, people will know we are Christ followers when we love each other the way Jesus loves us. Francis Schaeffer says, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final and ultimate apologetic. So I'm saying, where... Where is it more likely that people will, number one, be invited and feel comfortable, and two, experience the whole range of what the church is? And I'd say, well, there's no one environment that that can happen in, right? I would say it's important to gather as a, as a, as a, as a whole church together, and it's important to see those one another's and love lived out within a, a network of relationships because I don't know if, if if you're like me this feels very impersonal. <laughs> I mean it is. It's imper- now what we're doing is not, but I mean the way we're doing it it's impersonal, it's not relational, all that stuff. But where people can see authentic Christian love on display, where non-believing friends, family, coworkers, neighbors are watching and deciding on the validity of the gospel by the way Christians are behaving. You say, wow, that person doesn't be, seem to be trying to put on a mask. Wow, that person doesn't seem to be consumed with themselves. Wow, look how helpful. Look how servant-oriented. Wow, look they look like they're laying their lives down for each other. Wow, it looks like they care about other people. Something's up. Something's up here. And people say, okay, I don't know if Jesus is real, but I know that's real, and that's not explainable by human beings because all the human beings I know don't live like that. And it's that kind of community that's formed with God's presence there and God's people loving each other the way Christ has loved them, sacrificing for each other, serving each other, inconveniencing themselves for each other, because Jesus did that for us. He sacrificed for us. He inconvenienced himself. He left the glory spot for us. He came down to serve and not to be served. All that for our sakes. And so we demonstrate him. And when we are demonstrating him in those kinds of ways, people see and they take notice. Last thing, and I'm going to tick these off, building blocks. So those are the five groups. Growing spiritually, receiving care, offering our lives to others, utilizing our spiritual gifts, putting the gospel on the play, display. Christian, is that not what you want? Is that not what you want to happen? And so that's benefits right there. That's Benefits. I'm going to grow. I'm going to receive care. I'm going to be able to see God use me. I'm going to utilize what God's put me on earth to do. And I'm going to display the glory of the gospel to other peoples. That's why we're made. That's why we're here, to know, grow, and show. To know God, to grow in Him, and to display Him to others. And I would say if we don't have vital relationships with other believers where we're meeting together, that is likely not going to be displayed the way it needs to. So, the building blocks. Number one, it's got to be regular. We've got to be regular. Once a week is natural. Less than once every two weeks may not build enough closeness. So, John Ortberg writes, "...spiritual transformation cannot be orchestrated and controlled, but neither is it a random venture. We need some kind of structure, much as a young vine needs a trellis. We need sails to help us catch the winds of the Spirit." All of us know the frustration of random, haphazard efforts that lead nowhere in spiritual life. We need a plan for transformation. And our groups are that plan, part of that plan. It's not the exclusive part of that plan, but it's an important part. Secondly, they need to be authentic. They need to be authentic. I have no acronym for these, by the way. You should feel good about that. I am not a slave to anachronistic preaching. So be authentic, right? Here's an an example from... um, from a book I read recently. It says, my wife and I were doing the busy bee clean of our house one Tuesday late afternoon before small group showed up. We had about 45 minutes before the first couple could knock on the door. So we were feverishly dusting, scrubbing and straightening. Anybody been there? I have. We're getting ready to be there this afternoon, unless the Houston's and the house, well, Houston's aren't coming, but the house or anybody else wants to come over and help us, which we'll get to in a second. No, I'm just kidding. So we were feverishly dusting, scrubbing and straightening. When the busy B. Nightmare happened. Someone knocked on the door. I looked at my wife and our faces dropped, hoping it was just the UPS guy dropping off a package and bolting back to his brown truck. I unlocked the door, trying to get a peek through the crack as I opened so I could prepare my heart. Oh, hey, guys, you're early. I said to the group members who were beaming, Oh, we are? We thought we were 15 minutes late. When does group start? They were early. And my heart sank as I realized we were nowhere near ready. I watched as their eyes scanned the room, (laughs) realizing they were quite a a bit early. It was embarrassing for me. We're glad you're here, but you're going to have to excuse the mess. We're not quite done cleaning yet. Don't mind that dust bunny or the pile of mail or the cups in the sink. Their response changed our relationship and changed the way I thought about cleanliness for small group. Don't mind it. We'll get this thing knocked out. Give me the vacuum cleaner. Honey, you go sweep the front porch, and for the next 45 minutes, they helped us get things ready, and then they dropped the bomb. We were just glad to know we're not the only ones whose house isn't perfect all the time. Isn't it a relief when you see someone else's house that isn't perfect? Is it, it's like a reminder that you're in the clear, especially when that house is your pastor's place. And it is, and come on over and help if you want to. So this story is a picture of the kind of vulnerability that's necessary to do life together with people. And if your house is perfectly neat and tidy, each and every time you communicate that your life may be perfectly neat and tidy all the time, that there's no dust bunnies in your life, no piles of unchecked mail, no weed left unpulled. Through your perfect facade, you give the air of a perfect marriage with perfect children, of a life with a perfect job and a perfect life of holiness, and that's dangerous ground to stand on. Now, some of you have the gift of cleanliness, and we praise God for you. <laughs> there, there's several of them in our church. I don't mean, to, I don't mean like you need, you're unfaithful. You've got to go home and start dumping trash bags on the ground. We, we need to look like our life is a mess. Come on. You know, let's get it. No, some of you are, are wonderfully, God has wired your marriage together that way, and you guys function well that way, and you don't have little toddlers. And that's great. And we praise God for that, for people who make their home a place of ministry. I mean, and that's great it doesn't have to be messy. But the point is, is that if it is messy, it's okay. It's okay. And it gives an opportunity for the group to be the group and not just be uh, invitees to an event where they're expecting to be served. So regular, authentic. Three, it's got to be committed. And this is really where I'm driving with this sermon. I'm hoping that you leave with a renewed conviction and commitment to this because man, it's just so important that we build our lives and structure our lives in rhythms so that we can make this easily happen for each other. And so that we're... Now, emergencies are going to come up. Things that we didn't plan for are going to happen. Kids are going to get sick. Stuff's going to happen. It's going to happen. And and, and 100% attendance at every single group meeting is not what we're asking for. What we're asking for is a commitment that's demonstrated. And if we were to ask you, in in what ways have you sacrificed in the last two months to be here? You could answer it, okay? Okay. Here's what Ray Ortland says about lacking commitment as a Christian. He says, Half-hearted Christians are the most miserable of all. They know enough about God to feel guilty, but they haven't gone far enough with Christ to be happy. Be all out for Him. Man, that's a word. I mean, we got to be all out for Him. we got to say, this is what is on His heart. This is His priority. This is the way He modeled His life. This is what I want. The, I'm, I'm a following him as Lord and Savior, if he lived this way, it wasn't just because he was a Galilean rabbi in the first century. It's because he believed being a smaller group within the body of Christ was important. And so I want to make it happen too. Number four, variety. There needs to be variety. And we've been talking to our our group leaders a lot about this, about establishing rhythms within the group where it's not just same old, same old, same old, same old old all the time. Rather that it should be have variety. Variety. There can be gatherings where we seek God in prayer and worship together and study the Bible together and talk about Scripture, talk about our lives. That's great. There can be gatherings where we have fun and guests it, do unspiritual things like bowling, you know, and, and having fun with each other and enjoying each other, going to a park or hanging out or, or just, just enjoying something together. And then there's times where we serve together and we see a ministry happening and we say, hmm, I think our group could get involved in that. And we do it. And so just having those sorts of rhythms where you're not just doing the same sorts of things. And then finally, and lastly, and closingly, there needs to be ownership. Ownership. And that means not just ownership on the part of the leader, which is important, but ownership for the group within the group itself, which means that if the leader doesn't show up, group's still meeting. Okay? Group's still meeting. How many of your meetings hinge on whether or not your leader initiates? It's just a litmus test for how much the group is owned, okay? So I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. So I think we need to have ownership and that everyone has a role to play. It's like, okay, so who's going to coordinate meal? Who's going to coordinate discussion? Who's going to coordinate fun? Who's going to coordinate serving? And we all kind of pitch in and have this happen together. So ownership. I told you, sorry, you guys have been so gracious. Three sermons in one. It was it was a small miracle. And um, But I just, I mean, I, you all know, I'm passionate about this. I care about this. Um, It's not the only thing I care about, really, but it is something I see as so central and important in the life of our body together. So let's pray together right now briefly that the Lord would take us a step further and uh, make it happen. By the way, if you're not here if you're here and you want to get plugged in, we want to help you get plugged in. You can speak to any of us pastors. You can speak to Pastor Jonathan. You can speak to me. You can speak to anybody, uh, any, any uh, friend you have here, anything like that, and we'd love to get you um, plugged in. We're working on a plan to get it more systematic, but it's not quite there yet. Thank you guys for coming up without even asking. That's owning it. <laughs> All right, let's pray together, and we will respond in song and giving as well. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity this morning to worship you and to gather together as your people to sit under your word to be instructed to be encouraged to be equipped and We ask that as we move out of here that we would take something from what has been said all this that has been said this morning and 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 touch us in one particular area and and, and, and help us to, to take one step in, an, in a new direction as a result of that to 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 renew our obedience in some area and to see you and watch you work in and through us. We thank you that we get the privileges that we get. We thank you that we get a family, a new family that we are a part of. We thank you for every brother and every sister in the family of God, especially in this local assembly and especially among those we know the best. We pray that you, no one in this in this community would be without close friends who know them and love them and care for them and speak to them. May, may that may that not happen, um, but may everyone have those whom they can grow together with, receive care from, offer their life to, utilize their spiritual gifts with, and put the gospel on display together. We ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Stand.